Section 110 of Word Portraits of Famous Writers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Langston. Word Portraits of Famous Writers. Edited by Mabel E. Wotton. Horace Walpole, 1717-1797. From Walpoleana. The person of Horace Walpole was short and slender, but compact and neatly formed. When viewed from behind, he had somewhat of a boyish appearance, owing to the form of his person and the simplicity of his dress. His features may be seen in many portraits, but none can express the placid goodness of his eyes, which would often sparkle with sudden rays of wit or dart forth flashes of the most keen and intuitive intelligence. His laugh was forced and uncouth, and even his smile not the most pleasing. His walk was enfeebled by the gout, which, if the editor's memory do not deceive, he mentioned he had been tormented with since the age of twenty-five. This painful complaint not only affected his feet, but attacked his hands to such a degree that his fingers were always swelled and deformed. His engaging manners and gentle endearing affability to his friends exceed all praise. From Cunningham's Letters of Walpole Asterisk. The person of Horace Walpole was short and slender, but compact and neatly formed. When viewed from behind, he had, from the simplicity of his dress, somewhat of a boyish appearance. Fifty years ago, he says, Mr. Winnington told me I ran along like a pewit. His forehead was high and pale, his eyes remarkably bright and penetrating, his laugh was forced and uncouth, and his smile not the most pleasing. His walk, for more than half his life, was enfeebled by the gout, which not only affected his feet, but attacked his hands. Latterly his fingers were swelled and deformed, having, as he would say, more chalk-stones than joints in them, and adding with a smile that he must set up an inn, for he could chalk a score with more ease and rapidity than any man in England. His entrance into a room was in that style of affected delicacy which fashion had made almost natural, chapeau bras between his hands as if he wished to compress it, or under his arm, knees bent, and feet on tiptoe, as if afraid of a wet floor. His summer dress of ceremony was usually a lavender suit, the waistcoat embroidered with a little silver, or of white silk worked in the tambour, partridge silk stockings, gold buckles, ruffles, and lace frills. In winter he wore powder. He disliked hats, and in his grounds at Strawberry would even in winter walk without one. The same antipathy, Cole tells us, extended to a greatcoat. From Hawkins' Memoirs his figure was not merely tall, but more properly long and slender to excess, his complexion, and particularly his hands, of a most unhealthy paleness. His eyes were remarkably bright and penetrating, very dark and lively. His voice was not strong, but his tones were exceedingly pleasant, and, if I may say so, highly gentlemanly. I do not remember his common gait. He always entered a room in that style of affected delicacy which fashion had then made almost natural, chapeau bras between his hands, as if he wished to compress it, or under his arm, knees bent, and feet on tiptoe, as if afraid of a wet floor. His dress and visiting was most usually in summer, when I most saw him, a lavender suit, the waistcoat embroidered with a little silver, or of white silk worked in the tambour, partridge silk stockings and gold buckles, ruffles and frill generally lace. I remember when a child, thinking him very much underdressed, 
if at any time except in mourning he wore hemmed cambric in summer no powder but his wig combed straight and showing his very smooth pale forehead and cued behind in winter powder end of section one hundred ten recording by laura langston